All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff to answer the questions you need answered to build out your digital learning ecosystem. Today, I'm joined by, oh, Nelson, I'm going to try this one again. Nelson, civil, ah, shoot, what is it? I can't. That's all right. Civil. All right. All right. And John Magnus from yeah. How Now. my What's that? Get your time with my surname. <laughs> yeah, really tough one. Is it John? John, right? Okay, good, good. Got that one. John Magnus, and they're from How Now. And today we're taking another swing at the LXP. We're taking learning into the flow of work. We'll tackle some other big buzz terms right now. Um, for those of you who are already joining us live, be sure to give us a thumbs up, tag in somebody who would benefit from the conversation. But before we get to it, before we get into it, our question of the week, and you've had you've had plenty of time to think about this now, is, and, and everybody who's watching, I want to hear yours, your answer to this in the chat. But if you could instantly become a master of any skill, what would it be? So we'll start with you, Nelson. Uh, it would to be to play any musical instrument. Uh, it's it's one of my things. I love to listen and love to watch live music, but I'm absolutely terrible at playing any instrument. So I'd love to be able to play any instrument. Okay, literally anyone. You could just somebody could hand. I'd like the skill to be able to play every instrument. That's okay. the skill I want. Okay. Uh, are there yeah. any? Are there any in particular that you were like? I would probably play this one the most, though. Uh, yeah, probably the keys. Piano is a, is, is a good one. Okay. Yeah. Pianos, or you could be, you know, a guitar person. You could be that guy that's just well, like a, a, a jazz uh, piano player. I mean, that's okay. the one. Okay. Got it. All right. Any, all right. Any musical instrument. Well, you let me know if that skill suddenly picks up. I think when I was talking to Reese from, from Fuse, he was, he was, he had a piano in the background, so he was working on that. So maybe the two of you can have a jam session. A learning tech band. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that next. So how about you, how about you, John? Um, Well, this might work quite well then because I've always wanted to be a pilot. So I think my skill would be to learn how to fly planes helicopters but my main passion is to learn how to fly a seaplane at a seaplane so that i can essentially take off land in yeah, the, the one that you can land in the water yeah go for a swim swim out to the island swim back fly again uh, and if he's a musician playing any instrument i could fly him around the world and we could basically yeah. that would be the new gig okay so when we start you know the lxps or something like that <laughs> a really cool name right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be on the keys i'll i have no idea what and uh john you can you can be our travel you can be our travel agent perfect so i think mine if if i had to pick one for some reason so i love the jason Bourne movies and was always fascinated by how right i mean he just like boom out of nowhere so that's probably what i would and i have two girls so it's probably appropriate that you know dad could just tear you to pieces and you wouldn't even know what happened. So I think that that would be my one skill would be just the master of the all the martial arts. Talking about the ball movies, Chris, you have got a bit of a Jason, Jason Stratton kind of lit gang. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> it's, it, I think it's just the lack of hair. That's probably about the only thing Jason Bourne and I have in common. Well, perfect. Well, thanks. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, well, it's afternoon for you over in London. Uh, but yeah, so today we're talking about the LXP thing. So before we get into it, though, I'm just really curious, you know, first of all, one, what made you because we talked earlier, 
L&D wasn't necessarily, you didn't grow up in that. What made you say, hey, learning technology is, is where we're going to go? Yeah, I, I guess if you look at the mix of the team, we're, we're essentially technologists, uh, consultants, uh, former teachers, bankers. So it's a, it's a mix of different people. But I would say the one thing that we all have in common is we've all been victims of really bad training at work. So we know what bad training looks like. And one of the things we noticed was, you know, in the time we've been at work, a lot's changed about the workplace. You know, the way we communicate at work, the way we manage uh, our documents and files, and a lot of things changed, but actually training hasn't changed significantly in that time period. And, you know, being technologists and having started businesses before, you're always drawn to things that are, it's a problem that's been there for a while and not being addressed in the way we would. And, and, and so that's really what drew us to it. We thought it's an important problem. And, and on a wider scale, um, it's a problem where you can add significant value because this is not a tick box exercise. To be able to drive continuous learning um, and to close the existing skills gap, if we don't do it, we are looking at a huge section of the population who are going to be socially and economically irrelevant. So it was a problem that we knew needed solving. And it's a problem we knew if we solved it in the right way um, would have a great impact. Um, and, and that's what drew us to it. Yeah, and I suppose the other thing is, you know, outside of work, we're all used to far more advanced technology and ways of consuming things, whether it's, you know, uh, Amazon, Netflix, you know, everyone always talks about Netflix and Spotify. Don't, don't, don't bring up that analogy. You can't get away from it now. But, uh, we're all used to using far more advanced technologies to to consume, you know, and to buy and to read and to watch and to listen. And so the disconnect between the outside world and what happens in work is is too is too wide now. Uh, and that's why I think you know it is time to kind of you know narrow that gap in terms of behaviors and, and how we're doing things. Yeah. Well, and and I think we are at a little bit of a tipping point. I think we've been able to not necessarily tread into this space for a long time. Um, but now with the speed at which people need to be able to develop and the speed at which the half-life of skills is just rapidly dwindling. And so the, the traditional approach just isn't working. So I think there are plenty of us out there who are begrudgingly moving into this space, but it's a space we can't we can't avoid. So what are what what is your background? Tell me a little bit about your background before you went into LXPs. You know, what, what did you do before this? You said technologist. What does that mean? I'll, I'll go first. It's slightly more boring. But um, yeah, I mean, I, my background is essentially uh, in banking. Okay. Uh, so, I, so I first came out of university and went and worked at UBS um, okay. and then kind of majority of my uh, and I can tell you now uh, not not without a bias to how now, but in general, the, the, the learning offering when I was in banking is significantly different to what it is now. Uh, and that's a good thing because, you know, it's moved along. Um, but my yeah. background is predominantly corporate, um, you know, compliance training, tick the box, didn't yeah. want to do it, got a reminder, still didn't want to do it, you know. Um, so that's basically my background, I'd say. Are you um, saying you just hit the next button till you got to the quiz sometimes? Did you? <laughs> or, I got my, or I got my friend to do it. I can't remember. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay, how about you, Nelson? Uh, yeah, so a mix is a short career of, I was, I guess my kind of corporate career is at L'Oreal, then I was at Apple, and then I started uh, a production company with my brother, who's, who, who I also started this with, um, production company making essentially films, commercials, music videos, 
Uh, then we got into our first video technology business, which we ran for about four years and ended up licensing that technology to one of the largest reservation platforms in Europe at the time. Um, and then, you know, then we decided we were looking at this problem and, and kind of started this. So pretty much in kind of technology or okay. film and media. Okay, got it. So when you say, right, so how now you're, you're in the LXP, I guess, category would be, you know, if we were to kind of peg you with that. But LXP, in my opinion, everybody has a different definition of what that means. Everybody says SharePoint technically could be an LXP. When you say, hey, we're in the LXP category, how how are you really defining that? Or what are you bringing to the table that, you know, you think is really compelling? The truth is, Chris, we don't actually go out saying we're in the okay. LXP category or, or rather... You know, we don't necessarily describe ourselves in, in that way. We, we essentially call ourselves, we're a learning platform. At that, we're an intelligent learning platform. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the learning experience is an element of it. And I guess that exists as a category because typically people might not want to get rid of their LMS and they want to build out stack on that, which is, which is fine. Uh, but essentially, we look at it more as comprehensively what... It, let me take it back. So the question we asked ourselves was, what would learning look like if you built it from the ground up today? And we asked ourselves that question around four years or so ago. And so it wasn't to retrofit any existing systems. It wasn't to be you know, uh, restricted to the way things have been done for the last 20 years. Because actually, if you look at some of the more enterprise systems that exist, a lot of the core technology and functionality was developed a decade or more uh, ago. So we had the benefit because we were starting up uh, four years ago to ask the question of what does it look like if we'd start from a blank canvas? Okay. And, and that was looking at learning end to end. And what does learning mean today? And what are you trying to achieve? So if you look 20 years ago, where predominantly digital learning was trying to ensure people were compliant, right? That, that was the, the reason it came about. And, and to a large degree, the LMS did do uh, a, a decent job of ensuring uh, you had a record of compliance and, and you can show that. But the requirement today is quite different. So what we're starting to see is, you know, if you imagine an 80% compliance-led training environment and then a, and a tiny 20% being continuous learning, the model is now flipping where you've got 80% continuous learning and 20% compliance. And now with that flipped model, what you realize is your existing learning infrastructure or ecosystem wasn't designed to support no. continuous learning. So you now need to look at, okay, what does new technology look like for doing that? So for, for us, is we're an intelligent learning platform that essentially looks at addressing that. What does it take um, for you to be able to drive a continuous learning culture that helps you build skills and enable to uh, enable people to work smarter. Um, and so if that in your eyes is an LXP, then yeah, we, we can be an LXP. I, I, suppose, I suppose it's a bit cliche, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I've certainly described ourselves as an LXP at times and sometimes an LMS, an invisible LMS. I mean, there's so many acronyms now, but yeah. actually probably what we all need to start doing is getting away from the acronyms. I mean, as Nelson said, you know, it's, it's, it's a learning platform, but starting to look at what are, what are the problems? I mean, I know we all say that, but Really, what are the problems within our organizations? How do we solve it? And then go out and see, you know, does that tick the box? Will that help? Because I think we get carried away around yes. all the acronyms that we all end up being a bit confused about what the hell is going on. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's, I understand the categories and the acronyms from the sense of helping people kind of 
organize the information in their head. But to your point, it's not. And I think the risk with it is that people go, well, we need an LXP. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But when you even say when you need an LXP for what, I think is the bigger question that you have to ask. Because this is where, you know, this whole ecosystem concept to me is, is rising because of the fact that there are different solutions for different problems and you need to be able to identify that and figure out what that is. So what are some of the the core problems that when you looked at it, you said, this is, you know, these were some of the core problems we set out to solve for. Yeah. So, so I guess there, there's a few of those. And, and the first one and the primary one is most organizations don't know what their team know and don't know. Okay. Right? And, and, and that idea of what skills do we have in the organization um, and being able to identify the skills gaps that exist in the organization that are stopping you from delivering on your business goals and your KPIs and targets. There isn't a, um, you know, most organizations don't have an effective way of doing that. And, and if you look at the closest ones who've looked at building out, you know, skills families and jobs family, and this is typically a laborsome process where you're bringing in uh, an external, maybe consultant who sits on it for six months to come up with a bunch of skills and jobs, by which point when it's done, it's now redundant because there are new jobs and new skills in, in, in the market. And so it's first understand your workforce, understand the skills that exist within your organization um, and, and, and that problem and solving that problem. Once you do that, it's you've now identified the skills gaps. Now, how do you close those skills gaps? By A, bringing together the relevant learning, whether it's existing content, external content, because uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Chris, the employees don't care where the learning lives. They just want the learning that's going to help them build their skills and do their job better. And so given learning right now lives in so many different apps, websites, systems, and uh, not to mention the minds of the best talent, both inside and outside of the organization, how do you bring this all together? And we often talk about, you know, imagine a house of learning where each room is a different type of learning. You only have one front door to get into the house. And, and, and it's solving that problem of giving you a front door. Now you've brought the content together. How can you make sure you get the right content to the right person? Because what we're doing right now in traditional learning is very much a top-down, unidirectional flow of learning that doesn't really take into account the nuances of an individual or the nuances of a business. And, and therefore, it's not doing anything for anyone because it's, it's too generic. Yeah. Um, and so how do you now personalize learning in a way that was never possible before? Um, because it's not possible for a handful of humans uh, to personalize learning for 10,000 people in an organization, right? And, and so solving that problem, and, and the last problem is really traditional learning doesn't take into account your contact, uh, your context or your point of need at a particular time. Uh, and as a result, we've ended up with this notion of Netflix for learning, uh, which we quite disagree with, right? It is the, the idea isn't for you to binge watch for hours on end and consume learning content. Scroll. Yeah, and the infinity scroll. <laughs> what, what it is, is it's for you to essentially get the knowledge you need to help you get that job done or to do it better. In order for you to do that, you need to first know their context. And the only way you could do that is by integrating into someone's workflow. And, and typical traditional learning is quite detached from your workflow. We typically take someone out of work and into their learning platform rather than taking learning 
and sending it to their work. And so that's the problem we're trying to solve. Yeah, and I suppose traditionally you've been taking someone out of their context and into somewhere else to do some compliance training, right? So I think one of the challenges I see a lot is trying to not just how now to an end user, but generally in, in the industry is giving learning a rebrand. I'm sort of stealing one of Nelson's uh, tagline there, but actually, you know, asking asking what does learning mean to, to us and as an organization? Because we know certainly that if you ask most organizations to ask their staff, what does learning mean to you? You know, you don't know what answers you're going to get, but I've had LinkedIn Learning, which is great, and we discussed earlier, you know, LinkedIn Learning is really important, but it is just one element of a whole uh, heap of things. Um, some people will call, will say, learning means I've got to do something I don't really want to do. Yep. So I think it's the whole, everything needs a bit of a rebrand and a reset. Um, yeah, well, and, and, you know, Toby asked a question that I think is, it's, a fair one, you know, which he asked, you know, can we get rid of engagement measurements, right? If we if we get to this place, and I'll, I'll chime in on my take, and I'd, I'd love yours on this as well, is that you know when I look at this stuff, you look at what we can talk about the LD buzzwords, you know, Kirkpatrick and the levels of evaluation, all this stuff. To me, it's not that engagement's a measure that doesn't matter. I think JD and I talked about it last week, right? If people aren't engaging. You're, you're not getting anywhere. But when you stop at engagement and say, look, we've got, you know, 60 or 80% of people engaging. If you can't answer the so what, that's that to me is where it's a problem. And, and you know, I think, you know, what, what in terms of the engagement, how do you look at engagement when it comes to this? Is that a factor for you? Yeah, I, that's a great question, right? With, with engagement, I look at it almost like um, when you're building a startup, there, there's a bunch of metrics you could be tracking and, and you could exhaust yourself by tracking so many metrics that don't matter right now. So a good best practice is to find your one metric that matters, right? So that's the, that's the kind of holy grail that you're going after. This is the one metric that matters. And then, of course, there are maybe other metrics, but you don't exhaust yourself with tracking this. And now applying that same mechanics of a one metric that matters Yes, it's great to know how many people have liked a piece of content, commented on it, but that's not the reason why you're right. uh, you're you're running this learning program or you've brought in this platform. Is not to go, yay, we've got thousand likes. What is it actually doing? The the learning is an act, but what you want to do is drive better performance, and and that bridge is really the skills you've acquired. So what your real one metric that matters is is the skills profile of your organization is what skills do you have and what skills do you need to have um, to future-proof your organization or to be able to deliver on Project X or to be able to achieve this particular goal. So all of these other engagements, are they're, they're indicative and, and kind of a health check, uh, right, to, to know, yeah, things are going in the right direction. But I think some of the most valuable metrics are sometimes missed. I'll, I'll give you an example. Right now, 70% of your organization could be searching for Excel training on Google, but you have no way of knowing that. So you're in complete darkness around a knowledge gap that is affecting your business until it comes around to a one-to-one -one or, or a appraisal. And so what we're able to do with How Now is give you real-time search data um, from this single source of all of your relevant learning that gives you a real-time indication of demand and what people are looking for. Therefore, you can identify your knowledge gaps and content gaps. So it, it is, it's not about course completion. It is about the skills that have been acquired as a result of this learning. 
Well, and what's funny is a, a good analogy to this, I think, is right this whole influencer market, right? You look at now, like influencer is actually a job in in the sure. you know, but just because people like a lot of your stuff, there's plenty of influencers out there that aren't making any money off of it. And it's it's the same thing, right? It's yeah, you have lots of likes, maybe lots of people watch your stuff, but they aren't necessarily buying your product or buying your services. And the same is true with that. Now that doesn't mean engagement isn't important. Because if you're an influencer and you have two followers, you're not really influencing anything. So it's it's really a step. step you've, got be, you've got to be careful. You're not telling a story through vanity metrics, right? Exactly. And, and it's easy to um, hide things behind vanity metrics, right? Because yeah. if you're not running learning in a way that's really building skills, then you would resort to saying, well, at least we got 10,000 likes. Uh, whereas if you can actually demonstrate real value uh, and people are saying they are acquiring skills. And, and one of the things we have on the platform is we've got this mini 360 tools where through, um, you know, through a manager's review as well as a self review, you get a mini 360 of the skills you have in the organization. Now, the reason why we do it that way is your senior colleagues and managers can evidence whether they've seen you demonstrate those skills in your day to day performance. Okay. That for us is a more ref um, accurate reflection than you acing an exam, which you could have picked next, 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 and, and got your mate to do. <laughs> well, and so, so let's, because you talked about some of the problems you want to solve. So I want to dig into that a little bit because some questions have come in and, and I've got some that I want to dig into. But let's go from, you know, easiest to hardest, not easiest to hardest, but right in terms of the, the complexity of it. You know, and I think where some of these new platforms, LXPs, whatever you ILPs, you created a new acronym by the way, <laughs> intelligent learning platform. But where they got their start, at least I think in popularity, was one of the problems they did solve for us on the practitioner side was we have a lot of systems, we have a lot of disparate content places. And it is a struggle to your point. If we don't know people are searching for this or they're accessing that, it's hard for us to operate on okay, these are the things people need. These are the resources people are using. And these are the things that they don't. And I think that is a fair problem to say, yeah, we're bringing that together. We're bringing that together in an intelligent way so that there is not the organizational confusion around where do we, where do we go to find this stuff? Um, you know, and, and kind of creating that, as you said, the, the front door. I think where it's not enough is to stop there and say, ta-da, hooray, we, we've now connected all our SharePoint sites and our content sites, and, and we have the one portal where everybody can go. Now, with that, though, connecting those things is not, it's not necessarily easy. So talk a little bit about you know, how are you connecting this disparate information together to tell a holistic story of, hey, this is what really is going on in terms of the usage. We'll dig into the skills and the other side of it. But, you know, as we look at that content, how are you helping do that? Or how is How Now doing that? Yeah. So, so Chris, like you mentioned, I think that the easy part of this is actually bringing together the learning ecosystem, because whether it's a, a content library or it's an existing, existing app or system like Office 365 or, or Slack or for a, a, any of those kind of enterprise applications, uh, most of these things these days have APIs. Now, even if you don't know what an API is, what you need to know is now is probably the best time to buy enterprise software because of this API-based architecture that we, we have. Because no longer do you have to carve what you need out of a rock. You now could build the le uh, learning ecosystem you want out of Lego blocks. And so we've now got 
opportunity to buy in each of the areas and get them to talk to each other uh, via API integration. So the, the, the kind of bringing all of this together is, I would say, the relatively easy part. And like you rightly pointed out, this is not a question of aggregation. Just because you know now what you've done is you've instead of me going to 15 different places, you've brought all of these 15 different places into one place. That in itself doesn't solve the problem. Right. And that's why that's the beginning. But you've got all of this content together. You now need to work out what is the right content for the right person at the right time. And, and that is where, where the challenge is. And that's where you need to understand, okay, we've got this content together. How do we know what's relevant to, to you? So you know, to start off with, one of the things we do is we collect and analyze millions and millions of job posts in different countries across different sectors in real time to identify what the most in-demand skills are for any particular job title. Okay. So what that gives us is a real-time view of what the market says you should know for your job title. So what used to take months and months for you to build out as a skills family, on day one now, when you go into How Now and we know your job title, you get given a list of skills saying this is what you should have. And then you do your self-review and peer review um, to give us a skills proficiency level for the, for the list of skills you have. Now, with that data, combine that with behavioral insights around do you like to read, watch, listen, or go to a face-to-face -face training session. We can benchmark you against similar people to you within, within the organization. We leverage all of these different data points. In addition, we also take into account your context. So are you looking at this in the web app? Are you looking at this in the mobile app? Are you looking at this whilst you're inside your sales CRM? We also leverage that data point to be able to surface what we think is the most relevant learning content for you. And that's the big part of solving the problem because content is not really our issue. You know, we, we've got content overload. Content, right? I mean, I think if anything, there's a bit of a content overload right now. Yeah. And I think one of the things we get asked by a lot is, you know, about, um, you know, you got all this content on the platform, but, you know, how do you know whether it's, you know, where's it coming from? And, you know, is it going to be relevant? And are people going to find things that, you know, are they going to be looking at, you know, ASOS or, you know, or whatever it may be, where, you know, and it comes back to, you know, the it is the human bit first, which I think people forget, which is yeah. it, it is the organization and the L&D team that will decide what are the sources, what are the skills, what are the areas, what are the, you know, topics we want to curate and bring content into, you know, this sort of, this this house, this front door. And then wow. that, that's when the smart technology comes in to yeah. essentially organize it and, and surface it and deliver it. Well, and it hits on one of the questions Toby brought up, which is, right, isn't there the risk of just leaving the employees off on their own? And I think that's one of those. It is a balancing act. It's not just a, hey, we've pulled all this thing together. Good for you, employee. Go and learn. There, there still needs to be that human in the loop. Of, yeah. Okay, yes, we have all this. Yes, you know, from what you've described in terms of, you know, scraping job descriptions and figuring out, okay, based on job titles, this is what we think is most relevant, but your organization is nuanced. Your organization may have some capabilities that you may know are more of a priority than others. How do we balance that? Yes, you can find this stuff. Yes, we're kind of guiding you in the right way. And there, and there is, there, you know, there is another element to, you know, to what we're doing is, you know, we are able to go out and curate third-party content from the web. Okay. But that is still a decision by the organization to say, 
you know, we are in the financial services sector, so we would like to bring in relevant content from Bloomberg. It's, it's not us going out there and saying, okay, well, here's a bunch of content on derivatives, and I'm just showing my old banking knowledge here. But <laughs> you know, it's not a matter of just going out there and, you know, seeing what sticks. It's, it's still a human input first. Yeah. And just on, the, on, on Toby's question is, this is a cultural shift, no doubt, right? It, it reminds me of one of my early jobs where um, when, when Facebook was an early thing, um, no one other than the marketing team were allowed to go on Facebook during work hours, right? Yep. And it used to always baffle me that you've hired a bunch of grown-ups and what you're telling me is you don't trust me. Right. You don't trust me to do my job and not go on, on, on Facebook during those work hours. And that's now changed. You know, it's, it's now not even an expectation in the same way. You know, this concern of what happens if we if we leave the employees to their own device. Well, actually, this is what you need. You need employees to take ownership over their own development because the employee now needs to know this learning offering at, at, in my workplace isn't just for me to develop the things that will help me deliver on the business goals, but it's also for my own benefit, right? It, this is also to help me from becoming socially and economically irrelevant. So I don't think this top-down unidirectional culture we used to have is conducive for a continuous learning environment. What yeah. you need is the business will always say, this is what we want you to learn for us to be able to hit our targets and our KPIs. But the individual also needs to be given the opportunity to say, well, what you don't know is, I think my presentation skills are weak. So I would like you to give me the opportunity to develop that. Yeah. Alternatively, my presentation skills are really good. And I, <laughs> no, no, and I would like to share that with yeah. someone else in my team, but most organizations don't have a, a way to capture that. And you know, you know, well, and it, it ties to, you know, one of the questions that came through and, and this is, right, how do you get, you know, how are you getting people to get to that platform in the first place? And I don't see that as a, that's not a technology problem, right? That's not a tech, that goes back to the organizational, the culture, the the what you're doing in the organization. Yeah, that's that's the learning rebrands, Chris. Right. Well, it is. And it's about, you know, your organization really saying, we, we want to invest in your development and Helping people understand, I think this is a big part of it. If you don't know you have a skill gap, you're not going to go, you don't go to YouTube to look up how to do something that you've been doing for, for a hundred years, because why would you, you already are comfortable with that. Unless something tells you, Hey, there's a different way to do it, or there's a better way to do it. And you're curious and you say, hmm, well, you know, let me find that out. So I think that's where the technology is an enabler of that, sure. but it's on us as an organization and an L and D organization to say, how do we create that curiosity and critical thought that actually drives people to actually engage with this stuff. Yeah. Which so, is an organization to just to create that buzz again, right? About saying, you know, this is why we're doing it. This is the place where you can get the sort of things you're consuming outside work, like TED Talks and YouTube videos. But it's also a place where you can actually make, you know, you can make a difference to you and your, your team and actually learn new skills on the job. Yep. Well, and it, you know, the example you used Nelson earlier, it's funny because I've, I've been in those conversations where, you know, it's, well, we don't want them learning anything other than what we're dictating is important to their job and peeling that onion back and saying no, because they're doing it anyway. Right. Yeah. So, so pretending like, well, we're just only going to let them do, I think that's one of the limitations that we've had in our industry and why, you know, we've gotten a bit of a bad rap is we've been more of a compliance 
we only provide to you what we as the organization have deemed is important to you. And the reality is that's not the way people operate. Yeah. I'm sorry, just Chris, sorry, just before you, you I think, you know, going back to the question about how do you get people onto a or the learning platform, I think it's probably a nice direction to go into about how, or what, what is learning in the flow of work and what does contextual learning mean? Because actually, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, lowering the barrier of, barriers of entry to learning, right? So if you stop taking people out of the context that they're working in and allow them to find what they need or, you know, learn on, on the job, then actually, in a way, you're not really taking anyone to a learning platform. You're right. bringing the knowledge to them. Yeah. And that significantly drives engagement, but it also lowers the barrier, uh, you know, eventually to, to, to find this. Yeah. Well, and and we'll get to the flow of work learning piece. You know, that's that's kind of point three I want to get to because I think it's an important one. And again, this whole concept that, well, our goal should be to create the one portal everyone goes to. I, I, at least personally, I'm like, no, because that's not the way. If you told me I could only install one app on my phone, I'd throw the phone out. Like I'd, I'd be like, forget it. I'm not using this phone. What, what, what would be your one app? I, I wouldn't have one I, because, right, that's what I'm saying. That's this concept that you're going to have the one app where you do your shopping on Amazon, you order dinner, you you use your GPS. Like, I don't want one app for that. I want the apps that I need to be able to consume the information or to get what I need out of it. So we'll get to that. But I want to talk on the skills piece because I really am curious more into how you're digging into the skills. Because I think for too long when we've looked at skills, you know, it's been it's been purely a what content did people consume or what content did people like? Because obviously, if you watch a lot of TED Talks, you're going to be an amazing public speaker because you've seen it so many times. When in reality, that's not how it works. You know, it doesn't mean content consumption isn't part of the learning journey, but it's not the end game. So how are you balancing that? Okay, the skill profile, whatever you want to call it, how are you balancing that? And you hinted at it a little bit, but I'm curious how you're tackling that. What skills do you have in an organization and at an individual level? Yeah, so it's exactly what you just said, Chris. I think that learning is is the act. It's the means to the end, but it's not the end in itself. And, and that is what's fundamentally wrong with completion rates, because it assumes learning is the end. Uh, and, and that's where it stops. So looking at learning as means to an end, in that case, it's a skill you're now, different ways of doing it. The, the first level and the level that already exists right now is you get someone to take an assessment, you certify that this person is now of this proficiency level. Now, we all know by now that just because you've aced an exam, it doesn't make you great at your job and, and it doesn't mean you have those skills. However, this goes back to what I mentioned earlier. It's evidencing it. Of course, it's subjective because you're getting your peers to evidence it. But it's more an accurate reflection within the organizational context. Because if I'm doing great work, you've, if you've been my manager for the last two years and you can see in the last six months, having done X amount of learning, I'm now demonstrating uh, better Excel skills or I'm now demonstrating better leadership in, in my team, then you can evidence that through this rating. Um, and, and through this review system that we've got on the platform. So the evidencing and this mini 360 allows you to get, although it's subjective, but a, a relatively accurate 
uh, representation of whether you've acquired skills as a result of this learning. And an important thing here is this entire review process is very light touch. And I think this is where organizations sometimes uh, have a very exhaustive um, process of acquiring skills and, you know, coming up with a 20 question assessment for working out what your skills are. If you make it that difficult, it won't be continuous. It needs to be light touch enough that I will do it when I join the HowNow platform. Then once I've done a bit of a significant amount of Excel training, then I get a little nudge to say, look, you've been doing a lot of learning and it's been some time. Do you want to update your rating? And when you update your rating, your manager and your senior colleagues also get a nudge to say, um, have you seen this person perform better as a result of this learning they've been doing? And because it's so light touch, you're now getting a continuous check-in to understand the skills progression. And that's fundamental. Is that, you know, we often say, if, if skills is your currency, we'll make it rain. And, 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 you know, <laughs> and that's really what it should be. Um, it should be you should be looking at, at the skill stack you have within your organization. Um, and, and that's how we do that. Okay. Well, and, and you get, you hit on something that I think we have to move to this more agile approach to skill measurement in that sense. I mean, I think you can go a lot of different directions with this, but the, you know, the and I, and I get why we haven't necessarily right coming from the practitioner side, I completely understand why we haven't done a great job in this area because it historically was a massive massive undertaking to deconstruct skills, to assess each individual and try and figure out you know, where they are, which is why we leveraged you know, surveys or we tried to do these things in aggregate, which didn't necessarily tell us a whole lot. It maybe told us a tiny bit and we overstated what that is, but it was a limitation of what we could do with the resources we have. And to me, that's one of the exciting things about some of these technologies is the fact that, you know, okay, it is more scalable to start to assess at an individual level what are people good at. And I think the point you brought up is the natural tendency is to be like, okay, we're going to assess Nelson's skills. Here's your 20-page rubric with each skill. You know, give him a one, three, five on these 37 questions. And you know, you get 2% of the audience that does it and the other 98 that says, nah, I, I just don't have time for this. So I think it's interesting that that nudge really is driving more towards, are we progressing? Let's identify what the skills are because obviously they're important. Is it moving in the right direction? And if not, why? And, yeah, and you can start to incorporate, you know, knowledge checks, right? So rather than, you know, at, you, you completed something, you've, you know, your manager's seen you do it, but you can also start to, I guess, automate some sort of knowledge check where, you know, you're reminded it sort of spaced intervals around, okay, we know you did that course or we, we know you watched that video, uh, you know, just answer a couple of quick questions. Uh, and I think that also, again, gives a bit of a, a sort of more consistent, you know, kind of story about whether you are applying what you've learned in, in your day to day. Well, and, and the speed, this is where, right, I could see plenty of people and I, I haven't seen the comments. So maybe this is all start a firestorm, but is the, okay, the argument could be made, well, these small little pulse checks aren't enough to really assess a skill set. And at least my take on that is, is, well, you can do a robust, massive skill set, but you can't do that with the frequency that you can these pulse checks. And so the challenge with that is with the speed at which skills are changing, the speed at which you need to move, 
running a you know biannual skill assessment of your organization just doesn't cut it. You you can't wait two years to figure out what's going on. You need to be able to do it in rapid succession so you can pivot and move on that. And that's absolutely the challenge we're up against, Chris, because in in uncertain times and in fast changing markets, the fastest learner wins. And so you need to be able to learn at the speed of need. And if you're going to do that, uh, yeah, all of these kind of laborious processes just don't fit in. Uh, and, you know, it's, it sounds cliche to techies preaching agile, uh, but, but, you know, it, it, is, it is a way forward. And the reason why it's being adopted so widely is because of, of, of how it allows for continuous iteration and development rather than the, the kind of, we decide at the start of the five years what we're going to do in terms of learning. And, and that's it. We run through with that program. That approach just doesn't work anymore. No, no, it doesn't. And, and just as an analogy on that, you know, I look at the shift we're seeing in virtual collaboration, right? And you still have a lot of folks that are very hard set on, and this will probably start a firestorm, but is <laughs> is like, well, in person is really the only way you can build relationships. And in my opinion, and in my experience, I'm able to connect more frequently and more consistently with people virtually and be able to build that relationship at a speed and scale that I couldn't do it in person. And so, yes, you might say, well, there's something about that in-person connection, but when you start looking at the scalability of it, and I think the same is true with skills. Yes, in theory, maybe a super robust, individual, detailed assessment of individual skills, might it be superior in terms of assessing skills than a pulse? Sure, but you can't scale and do that with any sort of speed that you need to. And so it's not a matter of is it better or worse. It's a matter of what's more effective. I mean, that's why technology as an enabler is is inherently democratic, because you now don't have to pick or choose. And, and this is what we say about face-to-face training. This is not about, uh, you know, this is the death of face-to-face training. It's not. We don't think, you know, we're, we're technologists running a digital learning platform. And we, we're saying this is not the death of face-to-face training. It is... I like to learn in a classroom sometimes, right? So what you need to do is leverage technology to allow people to learn in the way that best suits them, not only in a way that best suits them, but some content might be better delivered in a classroom uh, and, and some content might not be. And with technology, we don't have to pick one or the other. What we can do is make sure the right person gets that right content. And, I, and that to me is the most powerful part of technology is it's it's less about moving from one box to the other. It's more about creating an environment where you have the best for everyone, regardless of who or where they are. And, and you can use data to leverage, you can leverage data to make sure that you are running the right face-to-face workshops, right? So, you know, Nelson talked about identifying, you know, if 7% of people are searching for a particular thing, you can actually start to use that data to run a face-to-face workshop rather than, you know, I mean, I remember from my, you know, my UBS days, there was training for the sake of training. You know, it was sort of, let's get everybody in a class because this is what we think they need to know. Yep. It's not always the case. No, no. And I think that mentality of everyone's an empty box. So we have to just give them all the same thing. And again, it's not, I think the thing where sometimes people get defensive and protective of that is it's, it's not that L&D necessarily was thinking that way, right? It's not that that was the mindset. It was a limitation of what we could do. Because again, from a scalability standpoint, there was no way to say, well, we're going to host this class, but before we do, we're going to go fly out and meet every individual and decide what they really need out of the class. And then we're going to run 10 simultaneous sessions of it. You, You couldn't do that. 
And so I think we've had to do that, but technology is changing the possibilities. What's, what's funny, and Hannah brings this up, that I think sometimes creates a little bit of nervousness, and I'm, and I'm curious your take on this, is sometimes I think in L&D, the perception is we, we may be working ourselves out of a job, right? Or technology is actually eliminating the need for us. I'm a wild advocate that if anything, no, this is actually going to empower us to be able to work on higher order things and have a greater impact. But what are you seeing or what are some of the resistances you see as you're out talking to people about this? So on that point, Chris, I think you, you hit the nail on its head there, which is I think in the traditional learning environment, unfortunately, L&D are left playing the role of procurement. Uh, what they're essentially doing is they're told a requirement and they go out and procure, uh, you know, trainers and learning providers and, and having to deal with the admin associated with that, everything from the logistics of booking a room to, to the invoicing of has this been paid, has catering been taken to, all of this learning admin falls under L&D, which of uh, technology being able to bring all of this learning together, getting it to the right person, to, to automate a lot of the administration process that's going in, uh, giving you effective data for you to be able to demonstrate the ROI of what you're doing. And that way you can now use this data, as John mentioned earlier, to, to do high order things where you can now focus more on the strategy. Essentially, if you take L&D's position within the organization, Unfortunately, in many organizations we, we work with, um, they, they kind of look at L&D as a cost center. Now, L&D, at the very least, should be a value center, but it should be absolutely a profit center. Because what we're talking about is someone who can sit at the table, look at the direction of the business and the business goals, and then look at the data and say, well, this is what you're missing. That's going to stop you from getting from A to B. And now let me plug that gap so you can get from A to B. That to me is someone who should sit in the profit center, but that's not what's happening. So L&D needs to get to the table so they can be more strategic and, and essentially play the role of closing those skills gaps that will help you deliver on your business goals. Well, because as you said it, if skills are the currency, we can make it rain. And yeah. so, <laughs> right, we are contributing, but, but in all seriousness, it is a quantifiable. And I think to me, yeah. that's the exciting part about where we're going is this whole, how do you quantify what we're doing? Before that was very murky. It, it was very difficult for us to really put you know, a pin on that. And I think, are we there yet? No, yeah. but we're very quickly moving to a state and, and going back to the whole, you know, well, what does this mean for L and I've seen us as a bottleneck in the past, you know, for us to achieve this, this skill development, the culture of learning, we've been the bottleneck because everything had to channel through us. And that's why people have gone out and done other things. That's why they've moved outside of L and And I think there's tremendous opportunity now for us to focus on these things that, eliminates us as a bottleneck. So I agree. I think there's a, still a little uncertainty because it does require us as L&D professionals. We need to upskill, right? I mean, our skills need to be raised. We need to raise the bar. And I think that's where nobody likes change. People say they like change, but nobody really likes change. Yeah. <laughs> so let's do this. But, you know, we're, we're coming close to time. We've got, we still got plenty of time here, but I don't want to miss this because we talk about flow of work learning or learning in the workflow, things like that. And I think I have a distinction between workflow learning and learning in the flow of work. And I think what we're talking about today is more learning in the flow of work, but talk a little bit about how is how now defining that when you say, Hey, we're, we're working really 
hard on learning in the flow of work? What does that mean to you? Yeah, and, and often these, you know, we were talking about acronyms earlier, but a lot of these terminologies often come from, you know, market analysts and market commentators. But to, to tell you the perspective of why this makes absolute sense is, is something you referred to earlier, Chris. This idea of a one portal, one destination approach uh, is, is changing across technology. Uh, and a good indication of that is we moved away from, if you look at technology in general, we moved away from a one portal to cross device. So people started to expect, I need to have a web app and I also need to have a mobile app. The next kind of generation of that is, is all of these micro apps. And this is why you see a lot of enterprise technology, like if you look at Microsoft, they've got their own app store, Salesforce have their own app store. Most enterprise technology in this day and age have their own app directory for you to create little micro apps that live and breathe within them. Within browsers, you've got browser extensions. So today we don't just expect one portal or multiple device. We expect it to be everywhere we are. Uh, and so we expect these applications to, to live and work everywhere we work. And so it is, it's, it's the way it has to go because that's the way technology is moving. And, and that's now being described as learning in the flow of work. But for us, it's essentially the idea of embedding learning where you're working. And the reason why we're doing that is, goes back to what John mentioned earlier, is to lower the barriers to access relevant learning. Now, rather than trying to introduce new habits, what you're doing is embed, embedding learning in existing habits. So if your habit is essentially to go your salesperson who works in Salesforce, then absolutely it makes sense to surface your relevant learning content in Salesforce. If I spend most of my time in Microsoft Teams or in my inbox, then it makes sense to surface learning content there. I mean, this often, um, when we describe this in, in meetings, when we're talking to potential partners and, and clients, they're like, they can't visualize it. Yeah. So with your permission, can I quickly share my screen to share yeah, that? Yeah. I'll pretend yeah. like we hadn't planned this, but <laughs> <laughs> it came up so naturally. Why don't we just take a look? Uh, so let, let me, oh, there you go. Can you see my screen? Yeah, I can. Perfect. So what you're looking at here is HubSpot. It's a sales marketing CRM that we use internally, but this could literally be any application you use internally. Now, what you'll notice is a little how now integration on the right. Now, the moment I click on that, what you'll notice is even without me having to search, what it's doing is it's using data about my context. So my metadata, the URL, the domain, it's taking all of this data into account as well as who I am into account to autonomously surface relevant knowledge. So this is a huge paradigm shift where before we were spending hours searching for knowledge. Now we're leveraging very smart technology to make knowledge you need find you right where you need it. And then what I can essentially do is I can open this concept without switching context and open it right here. Now there's so many different use cases for this, but to give you a few examples, imagine sales team, uh, what better way to train them on our tech stack than for them to watch a how-to video whilst they're still inside the application. Or you might have a client-facing team where I work in customer support, someone's asked me a question, rather than tapping on my manager's shoulder again, I can quickly copy and paste this, include it in my uh, help desk or in my email and respond it back. But the whole idea is you break knowledge down into essentially little nuggets and, and you can surface that 
often talk about how now empowered moments. That's what we're talking about. When you had a question and we were able to answer it, that was a how now empowered moment. That's how we measure how we're helping you drive performance and productivity at work. So it's not only about learning in the flow of work, but also if I've read a great blog as a manager, I can quickly click on this, click this um, article or blog, and I can share this with my leadership team. So not only am I learning in the flow of work, I'm also sharing knowledge in the flow of work, and I can also search relevant content. Now, where we take this even further is right now, the chances are most people in your organization are probably going to Google uh, to search for stuff. I mentioned already, Google doesn't share their analytics, so you don't know how many people are searching for Excel training, but also m none of your internal training resources where you've spent time and money creating this or purchasing it live on Google. So you're missing out on opportunities to connect someone with the content they need until now. What we're able to do is surface relevant learning resources from your internal How Now Learning space on the most visited website on the world. So yet again, it goes back to the idea of embedding learning in existing behaviors where what you're doing is if someone goes to Google uh, 20 to 30 times a day, um, why miss the opportunity to tell them that actually the company has invested in these resources and connecting them with that. So that's just a few examples, but I mean, you know, we've got a Slack app. Now to give you an example of how that works is a few different use cases, where if you imagine one of my colleagues asks me a question on Slack uh, or Microsoft Teams for that matter, um, what I can do is if I don't know the answer, I can type in forward slash how now and surface the search results in conversation and then reply back with one of the search results. Another use case is, a lot of knowledge transfer these days happens in chat. So you might ask me a question on, on chat, and I'm gonna answer that question, but the chances are I've probably got another 100 people who are gonna ask me the same question. So what I can do now is convert that message into a nugget that gets stored in my long-term memory, which is how now. So you're not losing knowledge um, that would otherwise be lost in conversation. Okay. So it's, it's not just, and by the way, right. The, the embedding, the search results in Google, I, I have to say, right. Brilliant there, because how often, you know, if you look at what is the number one way people go to find information, they Google it, right. Yeah. That, that's what people are doing. And so if you can aggregate and bring that into where it is, that's that again, it's, it's, it's bringing things to where people are instead of saying we're L and D you come to us. For yeah. Information and saying, no, we're going to come to you. We're going to bring it to you. Actually, when, when Nelson mentioned about, you know, uh, being able to surface internal or external results onto Google search to remind that individual that, hey, look, as, as an organization, don't forget, we've got this great content that's sitting in our internal knowledge base. I know of certain organizations where some individuals use Google to search. They just you go to, go to Google straight away because they know that they can very quickly get that, and that's what we're used to. We're going we're used to going to Google to find what we need. So it's yeah. an interesting. Well, and it and again, all this all the data behind that is only helping us as an organization to be more intelligent and smarter about you know what resources are we investing in, what are the resources people really are using, how are we making sure that that's there. The one question I have on that because it's it's extremely powerful. Yet I think sometimes people are a little bit terrified, you know, when they, you know, you, you see that now where people, there's all the posts about people go, oh, I was talking with somebody and then I went to go search on my phone and the yeah. first thing that popped up yeah. and there's a little bit of this fear behind it when really 
right? When you see it broken down like that, it's it's really designed to help. But how how do you see organizations? And we probably would have a whole nother talk just on this topic. But I'm curious, how are you seeing re- people respond to that? Because it is, in some ways, could be interpreted as creepy. Yeah. So uh, and this is one of the most common questions we get, Chris, when, as you can imagine, it, it often goes, I, I do exactly what I just did there. And it often goes from wow to wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> and it's the most common kind of uh, transformation. And the answer is this the control is in the user's hands. So none of that search data from Google is, is stored or captured anywhere. It is just there to reference the links that live in your internal learning space. And if you don't want to see that as an individual, you can change the setting. So to us, this is not a, a privacy and data as an afterthought. This is data and privacy by design. And so we give all of the control down to the user in terms of what they want to integrate, what whether they want it to surface on, on Google search results or not. So that's the Google search part of it. But on a broader spectrum, now the great thing, and, and, and this is, I think, you know, I know you like to demystify and I, and I want to demystify a certain area around um, actual AI and, and how you would surface and empower recommendations. The great thing about machine learning in this case is a lot of it, the data doesn't have to go back to the server and it doesn't need to have personal identification. I don't want to geek out too much, but the great thing about the way, um, you know, with machine learning, we can work and drive recommendation. It uses the data that's held at the device end to understand your behavioral insights and your engagement metrics to to drive the recommendations. It doesn't need to know who you are specifically. It doesn't need to know this is John Magnus in order for it to drive a recommendation. It just uses all of the other data points and most of that lives on your device end. So often when people ask about data, um, actually AI is great for data because no longer do you know, you know, like the traditional way of cookies and capturing that and personal identification around it. Uh, you know, it's it's a very GDPR compliant way of doing it because you don't need to personally identify who it is. Yep. Well, and I think that's like I said, we could have a whole nother conversation on that because I'm happy to geek out on on that topic. Um, you know, and I think it's, some of it it's going to take some time, right? You, you look back in 40 years ago, nobody would have dreamed you'd have a device sitting in your house that you would just talk to, no problem, and it's gathering all this intelligence on you know, what your preferences are. And now we do it as though it's no big deal. And I think we'll, we'll get there. But um, one of the other you know points that that Jay brought up, and I think it's it's one that goes back to the point of it's about building an ecosystem, not finding the one solution that does everything. Because one of the things she brought up is, right, what we're showing, it's it's cool, it's helpful. It's helpful for those kind of point of need, giving people some of that development. But for those really advanced skills, the very highly technical skills, there is more to the feedback and the reinforcement and the time it takes to do that. It's not about Googling how to, you know, give a keynote presentation and you go, wow, I watched that, like now I'm ready to go. I think it's less about, okay, you buy this one platform and magically all of that happens. It's about saying, okay, how are you leveraging this platform in combination with some of these deeper, more robust capability building opportunities alongside that? That's my take. I'm I'm curious if if you're nodding. Absolutely. A, 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 A diverse workforce requires diverse learning, right? So this is 
uh, you know, this is not just about doing a tick box diversity inclusion course. This is about if you're actually looking at fostering a diverse culture, then diversity also exists in learning. And so whether that is someone who does want to do self-directed learning and find the resources they need or someone who wants to to book in for a classroom training is to be able to support that. Now, that said, um, you know, what we're talking about here is absolutely you're not going to get one platform that does everything and and we firmly believe in that you know this is not about trying to do everything and having an over-engineered product there is we focus on very much helping organizations build skills and work smarter and that's where the enablement of what we do by integrating into your workflow the whole idea of how we use skills data to be able to recommend relevant learning whether that's classroom training or quick video for you to to watch but there is many other things you might need as a part of your learning ecosystem and and what you should be looking at is the best of breed for that particular problem and, and, you know, if there's one thing to take away is always be problem first, right? Because that's what you as a client can own, right? That's what you know more about than, than, than the vendor coming in yep. uh, is, is, you know, there's no point talking about the features you'd like to see because you're talking to, you know, technologists and product experts who, who are building this stuff. You're better off owning the problem. And really deep diving into understanding what is the root cause of this problem. And I want someone to come in with a solution that can that can solve that and, and, and go for the best of breed. Nope. I think that's I think that's a great conclusion to the conversation that we've had, which is right, that and that is where the relationship between vendors and practitioners needs to be strong. It's not a it's not a it's not a battle between us. It's a we need to understand the roles that we both play so that we can really own it for the success of our organizations because that's what we're here for. We're not yeah. here for our own glory. So, with that, I I really appreciate the time. This has been a, a while in coming and I'm glad we were able to make it work. Um, and I look forward to staying connected. Thanks everybody. The comments, there's a lot more than I could even get to. So I will try and take a look at those and, and I'd encourage you both too as well. But uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Have a phenomenal rest of your Friday if it's just getting started and have a great weekend if if you're on the end of it. Uh, thanks for being here and thanks everybody. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks a lot. Thanks Cheers. Chris.